Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a tidbit about the word harbinger and a meaty middle about pig Latin. Let's start with the tidbit. In last week's podcast, we talked about how Captain R.F. Scott's sick ponies might have been a harbinger of the disastrous ending to their expedition. And I started thinking about the word harbinger. Off the top of my head, I couldn't place the root or put it into a group of related words. Well, it turns out that harbinger comes from Old French and Old German words that meant to provide shelter or lodging, and later had a sense of being someone who's sent ahead to arrange accommodations. And in that sense, it's related to the word harbor, as in to shelter. Now it's starting to make sense. There was actually a royal position, an officer in the royal household called the Knight Harbinger, whose job was to provide for the accommodation of the king and royal family when the court moved in progress. And there were also gentlemen harbingers who did the same for the great officers, and the yeoman harbingers who took care of the rest of the retinue. While I was reading about the Knight Harbinger, I went down an interesting research rabbit hole and discovered that the office of the Harbinger was abolished in 1846 along with another transportation-related office, Master of the Barges, who, get this, was also Keeper of the Swans. Keeper of the Swans. What a time. So now I have that song from Les Miserables stuck in my head. Master of the house, but with these other lyrics. Master of the barges, keeper of the swans, da-da-da-da-da-da, and your job is gone. <laughs> but what do you do when you get laid off from your job as keeper of the swans? I know I'm sidetracked, but really, do you have to go slumming with the ducks? Master Roberts, I'm terribly sorry, but the Lord has disposed of the swans. But I do believe there are still some ducks down by the pond. <laughs> anyway, you can see how the meaning of this word shifted over time. First, it meant a person who traveled ahead to let people know the king was coming and to arrange accommodations. And then it came to mean any sign that something good or bad might be coming. And it definitely doesn't need to have a negative meaning like it did when we talked about Captain Scott's ponies. A harbinger can be a good thing, like in this quotation from baseball team owner and baseball Hall of Famer Bill Veek, who's reported to have said, quote, The true harbinger of spring is not crocuses or swallows returning to Capistrano, but the sound of the bat on the ball, unquote. So harbinger is still used in English to describe someone who's sent ahead to arrange lodging or to announce an important person's arrival. But today, it's more likely to be used metaphorically to describe a sign that foretells the coming of some person or event. This week's Meaty Middle was also inspired by last week's show because when we talked about whether animals can learn human language, 
A big idea that lies under that question is, what is language? And Pig Latin is another fun way to look at that question. First, I should explain what it is for the benefit of listeners who may not have encountered Pig Latin as children. Pig Latin is a way of distorting English words for fun, or to prevent someone who doesn't know Pig Latin from understanding what you're saying. Here are the basic rules. If a word begins with a consonant or consonant cluster, remove them from the beginning of the word and put them at the end of the word, followed by a. For example, to turn the word grammar into Pig Latin, we remove the gr, gr, consonant cluster at the beginning and put it at the end, followed by a. The result, grammar becomes ambergris. Girl is easier because it starts with just one consonant, g. In Pig Latin, girl becomes earlgay. If a word begins with a vowel, pronounce the word as you normally would, but put a at the end of the word. For example, the word is would become isa. And there are some other versions of Pig Latin that add the syllable way or hey instead. Now we can talk about whether Pig Latin is a language. At first glance, Pig Latin does meet the main criteria that linguists use in deciding what qualifies as a language. The list varies depending on which linguist you ask, but five criteria that are pretty well agreed on are the following. 1. Displacement. Pig Latin has the property of displacement, which means that you can use it to talk about things in the future and the past, so not just the here and now, and even hypothetical things. In contrast, your pets may communicate to you that they want to be petted, fed, or left alone, but they can't say that yesterday they wanted to be petted more than usual after coming home from the vet, or tell you not to forget to feed them tomorrow morning like you did last week when you were late for work. 2. Arbitrariness. As with English words, Pig Latin exhibits arbitrariness, which means that the sounds in a word don't tell you what the word means. Amergray could mean anything at all. That it means what it does is an accident of history. 3. Productivity. Pig Latin is productive because, theoretically, it could be used to convey an infinite number of messages. You can say anything in Pig Latin. By contrast, your cat may be able to communicate its moods or some of its wants to you by the sounds it makes or what it's doing with its tail, but those dozen or so messages are the limit of what it can communicate. 4. Discreteness. I'm not talking about being politely inconspicuous. That's discreet spelled D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T. I'm talking about discreet spelled D-I-S-C-R-E-T-E which means decomposable into individual parts. To illustrate, even though phonetically the word amergray is an unbroken stream of sounds, speakers of Pig Latin can easily count the individual language sounds in it, the number of consonants, the number of vowels, and the number of syllables. You can't do that with a dog's bark, even though different kinds of barking may indicate joy, fear, or the need to do some business outside. And five, cultural transmission. Pig Latin is culturally transmitted, which means you don't automatically know how to speak it by having the right genes. You learn it from your friends at school, from your siblings, by reading about it in a book, or maybe even by hearing about it on a podcast. So if Pig Latin has all these properties, does that make it a language? Well, no. Linguists actually would call it a code. 
Pig Latin has no syntax, semantics, or even sounds on its own. Everything it has, it gets from English. In the same way, Morse code or Braille writings aren't languages, but codes. Pig Latin could, in theory, encode any language. You could have Pig Latin versions of Spanish, Navajo, or even actual Latin. How cool would that be? Pig Latin Latin. Of course, this kind of easily breakable code is very different from codes used for serious secret keeping. Linguists use the more specific name language games, or secret languages, to refer to Pig Latin and many other games originating in other languages. These games often add syllables to words, rearrange the syllables, add or delete various sounds, or use a combination of techniques. They're of linguistic interest because they can shed light on a language's phonology and syllable structure. They can also reveal variation in how speakers think about their language. In Pig Latin, for example, I turned the word grammar into ammergray by moving the entire gr cluster to the end. But some speakers would take just the g and produce rammergay. If you're wondering how Pig Latin came to be called Pig Latin, the Oxford English Dictionary's early attestation is from 1869, and it referred to any fake Latin gibberish. Other names for it included hog Latin and dog Latin. By the late 1800s, these terms, along with other animalized Latin names, such as goose Latin, were being used for language games, and pig Latin had developed its current meaning. I wonder if the master of the swans played a language game called swan Latin. In the late 1920s and early 1930s, pig Latin seemed to have surged in popularity and popular culture. Around this time, according to the OED, the borrowed German word nix, meaning of nothing, was pig Latinized into ixnay, and the word scram, meaning to leave quickly, yielded amscray, resulting in what, to my knowledge, are the only words to have been borrowed from pig Latin to become English words in their own right. That segment was written by Neil Whitman, who blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com. And you can also find him on Twitter as Literal Minded. Finally, thanks to all the people who've told me where they listen to the podcast over the last few weeks. Hungry Enough 6 says she, her husband, and her son listened while traveling through Vermont to visit her newest puppy-in-law. Adorable. You can send me pictures of puppies anytime. I dedicated my first book to my dog. Allah listens to the podcast on the way to the library in Iraq. And Anthony, who's a freshman high school student from Greece, listens on his way to school. And Erin, who goes by Matters of Grammar on Instagram, listened by the pool while she was on vacation in Cuba. I love all these beautiful pictures people send me. Use the hashtag WhereIListen to send me pictures of where you listen to the podcast. Also, I'm curious if you speak another language, if they have a pig Latin-like game in your language. So tell me that, too. I'd love to know. Grammar Girl is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, and you can find all my articles and old podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. Also, I'm doing a live webinar about AP Style on May 24th. If you need to know AP Style for work or school and want to brush up on the basics and all the new changes, sign up now. I'll put a link in the show notes, and if you're subscribed to my email newsletter, which you can find at quickanddirtytips.com, we'll put an announcement in there, too. That's all. Thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.